Welcome to the Menopause Lifestyle Solution podcast hosted by Livia Francis. Each month I invite a discussion on a chosen topic within the menopause, the highs, the lows and the experiences of midlife as women in our modern day society and with 12 million women currently in the menopause in the UK, isn't it about time we highlighted more at work? and also understand more about this within our population. So today I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Wendy Denning, specializing in a vast array, I cannot even describe in a few minutes what she does, of medicine from the menopause, through thyroid disorders, diabetes, infertility, cardiovascular issues, irritable bowel syndrome, parasites, heavy metal detoxification, Chinese medicine, and how to integrate traditional and complementary medicine on a day-to-day basis. So Wendy, I'm gonna hand it over to you and um, shall we touch on the topic of menopause to start with and what your philosophy is behind that? Thank you for the introduction. My father said to me, um, he said, you'll be taking exams forever, won't you? (laughs) But the truth is I studied, I came into medicine interested in the integration of complementary medicine and traditional medicine. And I have always been interested in in learning more. And of course, the problem is the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And I still, I feel I'm still a perpetual student on this path of, of medicine and life actually. Menopause is a really interesting time because it's a time of change, essentially. It's a time of change. And it's a time that many women welcome, many women don't welcome. But whether we welcome it or we don't welcome it, it is a time of change. Mm-hmm. And it's a time where we have to, we have the opportunity, we don't have to, but we have the opportunity to look at our lives and think about how we're doing life. Mm-hmm. And I think our body forces that on us because we... Uh, there may be the symptoms of menopause that force it upon us, but if we take even a step back from that, it's the fact of we are no longer sort of protected health-wise by biology. We are now entering an, a, a place where we have to look after our health in a much more profound way. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's sometimes missed, actually. So there's this whole discussion about the symptoms of menopause and how you survive the symptoms or how you move through them or how you manage them over the next 30 years. But actually, the bigger thing is... What really happens at the menopause? We become things like our livers become less able to tolerate alcohol. Our brains may not function as well because estrogen is the what I call the multitasking um, hormone. So we may not be so good at multitasking. Do we need to be so good at multitasking? Question, you know. Um, we, uh, our, our bodies may start to uh, ha- have an increased tendency to develop diabetes. Does that mean we need to take up exercise and change how we're eating? Um, we may, our cardiovascular risk has changed and they start equating to where men's were for many years. So these are all things, bone density drops, our sleep patterns may change. Our, our fertility obviously changes and that has an impact on our sex lives. So all of these things potentially can change. And I think it is that the fascinating thing about the menopause is 
is the changes and how we deal with those changes and as a society how we deal with those changes because I find that the conversation in society is all about are you going to take HRT or aren't you really I don't know how you find it Libby but that is how I find it yeah very much so it is about okay let's let's think of a, a solution that's going to help you quickly our society wants results fast it is just the way it is at the moment but i think taking a step back and looking at how you can help your body long term by taking smaller steps maybe more natural each um on, on, on that pathway i mean i am on hrt purely because you know i found that i was in a situation where i couldn't cope i couldn't cope anymore um, I didn't have enough knowledge on bios at that time, couldn't find a practitioner that was local to me. So it was elements that were thrown at me at that time and I'm now on HRT. Though I, I think I mentioned to you before, looking at long-term, possibly coming off that, changing a little bit, maybe going to patches or there's so much more on the market now, isn't there? We have more, much more. more options. And I think, you know, that... You know, so people come to me and they go, are you, you know, do you, do you just put everyone on HRT? Mm. No, not at all. I'm more than happy to not put people on HRT, but often they want HRT and that's why they're coming to me. But I'm never happy to just have the conversation about, are you going to go on HRT or aren't you? I want to have the conversation about their cardiovascular risk. I want to look at what their cholesterol's doing. I want to look at that, what their homocysteine is, what their C-reactive protein is. C-reactive protein is an inflammatory marker. It, very topical these days is how much inflammation there is in the body. It's particularly topical, I say these days, because it's particularly relevant to the whole COVID discussion mm. as to, you know, the people that do badly with COVID, some of them have real inflammatory problems going on in the body. So these are all factors that we need to look at. What's your bone density like? Have you been neglecting the opportunity to exercise? Have you been looking after your vitamin D levels? Have you been getting enough calcium in your diet? Are you taking too much protein? What's happened to all the vegetables and fruit that you knew you should eat but aren't eating anymore? These are all the things that we need to be looking at. And yes, indeed, HRT is, is definitely a part of the conversation as we come in to the menopause. It is because it can change women's lives. Mm. And I can have women coming to see me who've been working a classical rule was a lady who stand up in front of 200 people wouldn't bat an eyelid been doing it for years suddenly her hormones change and she's having a panic attack before she goes out in front of those 200 people doesn't even recognize herself totally just tweaking the hormones a little bit she's right back to doing everything she was doing before so you make lifestyle changes as well with that Wendy did she did she of course and that's really you know important I mean you know there are things that we know increase anxiety and they just augment those changes in the estrogen levels in your body but you know alcohol increases anxiety might in the moment give you more confidence but 
24 hours later, you're going to be more anxious from a drink than you were if you not had the drink. And I'm not advocating not having a drink. I'm advocating watching how much you drink and realizing the pluses and minuses of drinking. So alcohol, coffee, coffee increases anxiety. So does sugar. Any, you have a chocolate bar. You know, you might feel great in the moment, but then an hour or two later, you're going to feel anxious again. So getting out and exercising, fantastic way of burning off stress and bringing your anxiety levels down. So these are all things that need to be negotiated at the same time. Interesting. There was something that you said earlier about inflammation. Do you mean inflammation from uh, lifestyle, wrong food choices, or is it an inflammation that happens to do, is it to do with hereditary conditions or is it environmental or is it just innate within them? So, inflammation probably the biggest contributor to inflammation is being obese that's probably the every obese person has increased crp and inflammatory markers in the body and that's one of the reasons why obesity is so strongly correlated with all forms of cancer actually is that in indeed that inflammation but other factors that are involved in that are indeed obviously if you have it in a condition that causes causes inflammation in the body. It might be one of the arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, systemic lupus, one of these conditions that can do that. But very often, in fact, it's the people that are just are living their lives eating foods that are very pro-inflammatory. So, so fast foods, takeaways, um, alcohol, coffee, back to the same two there, dairy products, red meat, sugar, all of these things, if they're overdone and they're not balanced with enough uh, fruit and vegetables, they can become inflammatory in their nature, in the body. And then that puts us, you know, that actually puts a strain on everything, but particularly puts a strain on things like the cardiovascular system um, and increases your risk for cancer. And I mean, another interesting thing actually is, is dental hygiene that we're becoming aware of. That actually, you know, having not brushing your teeth well, having periodontal disease can increase your inflammatory markers in the body and increase your cardiovascular risk, increase your diabetic risk, increase your cancer risk. So quite interesting stuff around inflammation. Yeah, very much so. It's interesting, you know, you relating it to obesity and how obesity has that effect on almost all disease. You know, it makes you very susceptible, doesn't it? So it's not necessarily, you know, from my perspective, being in fitness, it's always, oh, yeah, there's vanity, you're losing to lose weight. But I, I see it as a health system. I see it as a way to have long levity, to lead the life that we want to and enjoy it without having symptoms that make us feel like this you know illness basically so yeah and it's been so great for me to see how many people have been out and about it during covid exercising actually i think it's worn off a bit now but initially you know you couldn't buy a bicycle to save your life <laughs> everyone was out on their bikes and walking and that was that was the only exercise they could get out of the house to exercise they went out that was great <laughs> leading on to breast cancer because it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We're in October. We're leading up to World Menopause Day, which um, is going to. This is going to be released on World Menopause Day, which is the 18th of October. Um, breast cancer is a subject I don't really know much about medically, but um, can you tell me about 
maybe the contraindications for it, or maybe a little bit about men. What are the signs and symptoms that we really should be looking for? Well, I think breast cancer, the average age of breast cancer diagnosis is, is women in their 60s, um, even though we tend to hear about it a lot in women much younger than that. So it can appear in your 40s where you're in the perimenopause and, and uh, as you hit the menopause, but that is the average age. And 3% of women will get breast cancer sort of across the Western world. That's, that's the percentage at this moment. Now, the things that increase your risk for breast cancer are obesity, um, alcohol consumption, drinking more than, in fact, five units a day, um, lack of exercise, uh, and that really plays into the obesity model. So I think you can get away with lack of exercise. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but if you're not obese. <laughs> um, but other things that uh, contribute to that are the big one that is constantly, and we will discuss it, I think in a minute is that it is the interplay or the role that taking HRT plays in terms of the breast cancer risk but there's of course the genetic risk um, which is and then there's this sort of environmental risk which I still think is not adequately looked at which is you know what impact is all of this plastics having on our bodies actually what impact is toxic heavy metals having in the body and what role do they play in the environmental causes of cancer and, and in particular breast cancer what impact are all the hormones that we add into um, dairy products into red meat that are constantly keeping our hormone levels up um, uh, these are not I don't think being adequately looked at um, but obviously it's it's something that most women fear I think breast cancer I think if you asked a woman um, about you know what does she fear she probably tell you she fears breast cancer and that's because it's such a visible it's a visible disease in many ways isn't it and it, it can be, a, a, you know, certainly it can feel like a disfiguring disease um, if, you, if you have to have a breast removed or you have to have a lumpectomy with radiotherapy and chemotherapy, you may lose your hair. So I think for many women, it's, 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 it's something that they, fills them with a lot of fear, I think is the truth. The other thing is, is learning to check your breasts as well because the tissue there is is quite lumpy so to then feel to constantly check and it changes it changes mm -hmm. consistently throughout the month especially when your your periods stop and and you have no you have no pattern in particular so even then the breast tissue seems to change so i always find checking checking them quite a difficult a difficult thing because of the consistency of the lumps but every time i've i've um, gone to the doctor and said oh there's a lump there's a lump yes no i agree with you it's always been benign but it's just that worry you're so right it is the one thing that that you do feel a little bit concerned about yeah I think I think we do as women and I and I understand it completely none of us want to have that diagnosis um but I think that you know but it does bring me on to sort of conversation around HRT because you probably are aware that there was a whole article that came out that last summer saying that um, looking again at the breast cancer risk associated with, with hormones and the hormone usage. And 
And once again, it was, you know, it was looking at whether if you took hormones for longer than five years, it was safe or not. And basically, but what I really need to say about that research was that it was, it was looking at old research. And it, it really frustrates me, actually, because we now have what we call relatively, well, they are totally bioidentical hormones available on the NHS. And so why we have constantly still looking back at research that looks at what I consider to be non-bioidentical hormones and really is... I feel un unhelpful. We need to have research that really looks at the hormones that are safe for the menopause because what that research, what that paper looked at was it looked at women who'd been given HRT at various times um, when they went into the menopause because obviously women go into the menopause at different ages and stages. The average age is 50, but women may go into the menopause at 40, 45. And, we've all, and there was this sort of belief that if you started at a 40 you'd be all right for till you got to 50 in fact but actually it's not true um, that's one of the things that that paper did show but um, but it did also show that there was an increased risk of breast cancer developing um, five years after you've been using HRT but what it looked at was it looked at estrogen and progestogens. And I want to just really spell this out because it's something I'm very passionate about. Progestogens are a synthetic version of progesterone. And there's really, we've known for 30 years that they increase breast cancer. There is nothing new in this research. It's been known for, for my whole career, we've known this, mm. honestly. I mean, probably bar the first 10 years, actually, possibly. But, but, you know, but we have known this for a very long time. So to revamp that out and keep going on about it, because it's the progestogen that is the biggest fault. And if we look at the figures, the actual true figures, if you take estrogen on its own, you increase your risk we sort of say the relative risk is one. And if you take estrogen alone, it, it takes it up to 1.17. So it's a little tiny increase. You take it with the progestogen, it increases to 1.6. So you can immediately see what a big difference that is. And then you add in uh, five years on top of that and you double your risk. You go to 2.08. Yeah. So what that means in real terms, and what they also were able to show was if you take progestogens and you don't take a break from them, because it became, it has become very fashionable to give hormones all the time and not to give women a break. It was fashionable for women to have periods. Then a lot of women said, look, I've done periods my whole life. I don't want to do periods anymore. Thank you very much. I'll take them. I'll take this continuously. But... There's two things around that. One is that um, uh, if you take um, them cyclically, i.e. not for the whole month, mm -hmm. and th then you lower your risk. Okay, so that lowers your risk. Um, but also, if you just take estrogen on its own, you lower your risk. Now, there's a really good study that was back, done back in 2012. It was a French study that looked at estrogen plus the addition of natural progesterone. 
micronized progesterone, which is readily available under the name of Utrogestan. And many, many GPs in the NHS are giving this. And that has a relative risk of almost identical to estrogen alone. So it doesn't have these increased risks. And I think that really needs to be spelt out because we, we shouldn't be drawing out old figures and then dictating women's lives based on old old application of hormones that are that, that then frighten women and uh, and women are then told abruptly you're only allowed hrt for five years well you know that's fine for some women but for some women it's really not fine and we are you know if you imagine the average woman's going to the menopause at 50 and the average age you're going to die is somewhere around the 85 mark might be between 80 and 85 the average woman is going to live 35 years now she's got to protect her bones she's got to protect her brain she's got to protect her heart during that time we know that hrt is protective for bones brain and heart providing you take the right hrt Mm-hmm. So, so we do have to have a bigger conversation on this one, and we really have to look at it in in more detail and and really up the training of doctors so they really feel confident mm-hmm. with that knowledge mm-hmm. that they can take that message out to the women and say, "Look, I'm confident that you have a relative risk. Nothing's hundred percent. There's no such thing as a free lunch, but it's a risk that's probably worth taking." for this period of time while you need these hormones. And I think that's the conversation we need to be having. Look, of course there's a slight risk, but then there's a slight risk of breast cancer, but there's a slight, there's a big risk of not protecting your cardiovascular system. Yeah, very much so. Not protecting your bones. You know, not functioning, curling up in a ball and, you know, uh, and not being able to actually do life. So there are bigger conversations to be had around this. Yeah, it's such a broad subject and so very interesting. Your knowledge is is just profound. I love hearing you speak and because you, you take things off on a different tangent and, you know, it is so individual, isn't it? So when, when you're with patients, I presume you, I mean, your screening for them must be quite intense. Well, they come to see me, but I, and so they self-screen and they, in, in you know, arriving in my office, but they, I would, because my practice is built on probably 95% of people referring other people, um, usually they come because their friend has said, oh, you've got to go and see her for blah, 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 or blah, 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 you know, so, you know, and I like that because when they come, they are ready to engage in a conversation with me. They've already thought about why they you know, why they're coming. Mm. And we have a conversation and we look at the pros and cons. And sometimes it's because women want to be more sexually active. They may not even need to have transdermal estrogen or progesterone. They might just want to be more sexually active. And then we do vaginal estrogen, which can be absolutely transformative and doesn't increase your risk for breast cancer. So we know that. So, you know, so, and we can apply that at any age. I mean, you can take that to a six-year-old, a 70-year-old. So we, it might be because women aren't sleeping at all. That's a big one. And, you know, and that's one of the things that, 
that actually HRT can be so transformative for, but absolutely on top of that is lifestyle changes. You know, there's no point putting HRT in and then, you know, having three glasses of wine at night, going to bed at midnight, having been on your laptop till, you know, 11.59 and brushing your teeth and jumping in bed and expecting your body to sleep. So, you know, one has to look at the other factors around it and support it with hormones, but really affect people's lifestyle changes, which of course is what you do. Yeah, very much so. Lifestyle is certainly an integral part of it. So, Wendy, I won't keep you any longer, but it's been fantastic talking to you. And thank you for joining us on World Menopause Day. And if anybody would like to get in contact with you, what, how would they go about it? The best way is to contact my PA um, and she's available at uh, my website. My company is the health doctors and the, 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 um, the email address for that is PA at the health And on that website, you'll also see a contact number. I'm based in London, but these days because of COVID and just life in general, I'm in London and also doing zoom calls because not everyone wants to troop into London right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you <laughs> so much for your advice. Being so flexible. <laughs> Thanks. No, I really appreciate. I, I, I like speaking on the subject, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank My you. Pleasure. Thanks, Wendy.